2: So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up to Romans chapter 9, if you will. That will be helpful. If you have it on a tablet or a phone, if you can find one in one of your Bible apps, that would be acceptable too. I hope you'd get a Bible and you'd bring a Bible so you can mark your Bible and kind of go back and forth a little bit more quickly than on a Bible app, but you might do that. I'm using the New American... And the reason I'm choosing to use the New American is because of a literal translation that I prefer when I'm doing more Bible teaching here. There is times for a more equivalent translation, but I like this a little bit better. So let me kind of explain again the much bigger picture. First of all, there is a God. He is the only God. He is the God that deserves and will receive all the glory and all the honor. And this God can do anything he wants because he is God and he has the right to do that. Now, I could ask you to say amen, but I don't want you to just chime in because you kind of like that. You have to really believe that. Now, with all of that, God in his infinite wisdom then had Adam and Eve created. And we know creation took part in a six-day event. So this creation of God that he did created Adam and Eve. We know that Adam, of course, with Eve, then sinned and brought the moral ruin of the human race. And you can read all about that in Romans chapters 1, 2, 3. And with that, the Lord also knew because man fell, that man would be totally and eternally doomed forever in damnation. And he didn't want that. And so he then provided a way that man could be redeemed. And that's Romans 4, 5, and a little bit in chapter 6, which is salvation, again, emphasizing it is of God. And since it's of God, it is his way. And his way is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then we can go on through the rest of the book of Romans, so we know that's happening. Now, here's what I mean when I talk about a timeline. God already knew man would fall before man was created, so there was already, before the foundation of the world, the plan of salvation was already, at least in motion, in the sense that when man fell, that there would be a Redeemer that would come and provide salvation. Now, that Redeemer that would come would be a human man, but yet God, Jesus Christ. Now, for Jesus to come into the world, part of that scheme is that he would have to come through a particular racial group. And which racial group would that be? Well, God had to create a racial group, and he did that in the terms of Israel or the Jews. And he did that by selecting a Gentile named Abraham and his divine sovereignty says, Abraham, it's all going to begin with you as far as from your line, the Savior will be born, the Redeemer would be born. In fact, it says that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you or in you, we might say. that's what Scripture says. They'd be given a people group. They'd be given a Savior. They would also be given the Word. In fact, if you read in verses 2, 3, and a little bit of 4, and part of verse 5 of Romans 9, you're going to see all of the privileges that that nation that God called out of the loins of Abraham would have. That would be the Jewish. The last of it is that there would be the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer for the world, was found in the Jews. Now, of course, the Jews were to be blessed, and it says if you bless the Jews, you'll be blessed. If you curse the Jews, you'll be cursed. That was a promise in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, the Jews, although they had all these great privileges, and there are many, and you can read it, go back to the message last week, they still made choices to deny God. And they did it by just kind of hanging around people who were not God's people and had their own belief system. We'll call it a secular worldview, even in their day. And that secular worldview was a complete completely against God and his way and bringing any glory to God. And we could say that that way was energized by Satan. And so the Jews then began to get into that culture. They abandoned their God for the most part. And when I say for the most part, they abandoned God, but for the most part of the Jews, not all of them did, that God brought judgment on them, so much judgment, so that he would set the Jewish people aside. That doesn't mean that they still, that they lost their privileges. It does not mean they were so set apart that God would not return and have the Jews and have great future blessings because he promised, that's the Abrahamic covenant, that those Jews would be blessed forever because of that. But there was a time that they were set aside. Now, there is a teaching today that believes that they're totally set, up, set apart. There's no need for the Jews any longer. That's done deal. It's Old Testament. And I uh, put it in the closet or sell it in a garage sale. It's over. It's not the case. They do have a great privilege today. And what now Paul is doing at this part of Romans chapter 9, Is simply this. He is now explaining that even though the Jews are set aside, there are what we call true Jews and not true Jews. Some people like to say there are two kinds of Israels. There's a national racial racial Israel, and then there's a spiritual Israel. The racial issue would be made up of all those Jews that in some measure could trace themselves going back to Abraham, but particularly not just Abraham, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the spiritual Israel would be those same Jews that would be there but also have placed their faith alone in their Messiah and they then would become the spiritual Jews because it's not the outward sign of circumcision. It's the circumcision of the heart when you trust Christ. And then when you get into the New Testament, he now takes the Gentiles, the Lord does, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ. So now he takes out of these two groups, Jew and Gentile, when they trust Christ, and he creates a third institution or entity, which would now be called the church right here, which would be made up of you and me. So sovereignly, now we're going to learn about the Lord. Now listen carefully, and I'll get right into my message. All right? Got to give you some little background now as we begin. In this section of Romans chapter 9, the general theme of it all is going to be sovereignty. Sovereignty. And it's the sovereignty of God acting in a way towards the Jews, primarily through this passage, and a little bit about the Gentiles at the end. Some of you are really going to enjoy that because we're talking about the sovereignty of God. And that's all right. What I also want you to see, or hear, is that in the midst of all of this, there's also another message going on. And that message is that we're going to see what is the nature of God in four areas. The nature of God under his sovereignty as it relates to the Jews but also to people like you and me. So if you're here today and you're thinking this is going to be a dusty, old, dry, boring history lesson on the Jews, I hope it's not. There will be some of that, not the dull and dry and boring part, but there will be some history of the Jews. On the other side of this, I want you to see that there will be four foundational characteristics of the nature of God as it relates in His sovereignty to the Jewish people that also are the same four um, um, foundational truths of the nature of God as he relates to those who now will come to faith in Christ. So that would mean it's for everyone. Why? Because his nature is his nature. That is who God is, whether it's to the Jews or to the world, etc. This is how he operates. So there is something for you to understand him operating with the Jews because it's not a finished race. He's still very much a part of that, although they're set set aside right now. At the same time, this message is for you. And so since this is being broadcast in many different mediums, I want you to know that it's highly likely that there's going to be people that are listening today that have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So even though I'm going to go through a bunch of material, some of this you might get, some of it you might not get right away. Go back into the Word, continue studying it. But here's what you will listen to, uh, what you will get if you listen to it, is this. These four foundational truths, if you understand this, you're going to understand a God who is a holy, righteous, just God who has the right to select people for heaven who has the right to send people to hell who reject Christ on their own. God doesn't send them there. They do that themselves. We're condemned already only because we have not believed in the Son of God, so it's on us, not on Him, John 3, 18. You're going to see how that that same God loves you and how His nature is there for you and that you very well today at the very moment today can come to faith alone in Jesus Christ and enter into a wonderful eternal relationship With this whole God we're talking about, Jesus Christ. And you'll have him in your life, not until you sin again, but forever and ever and ever. Now, last little bit of housekeeping here. I don't know what version of the Bible you have. If you have the version that I'm using here, I like the way they've done something in this. When we go through this passage, you're going to see print that would be regular print. Then you're going to see certain words or certain phrases that are all capitalized. Now, those of you that know anything about email, when you put something in capitalization in an email, the, the idea is you are shouting at the person who's going to read it. How many knew that when you put it in all capital? It's like shouting it. Raise your hand. See, we've got some techno gurus here, all right? This is not God shouting at you. What this is now is when you read that, it's a special way that the people who put this Bible together... Uh, it, uh, are indicating that this section is coming from the Old Testament, that it's kind of like a carryover from Old Testament truth. It's like God said this part in the Old Testament. So this way you get a chance to understand New Testament stuff that's going on, and then he takes it from the Old Testament, and I love this. It's showing you how the Old Testament and the New Testament are wedded together in such a great way. So you're getting like stereo surround sound here with this truth. But so when you see that all capital, you know God's not so much shouting at you you, as much as he's giving you some truths from the Old Testament. All right, now that we have all of that, Let's go to Romans chapter 9, and uh, let's begin with these four particular, I don't know, foundational truths. In fact, I like to look at these four in such a way as that if I had a foundation, if I was building a building... I'd have one foundation going this way, another foundation like a big square so that my building sets on four areas right here. And so each one of them is equal in strength, equal in importance, but also must be in there because if you remove one, you will have an imbalanced building that could be catastrophic later on. So these are four very important truths. So... Let's look at these. First one is this. Salvation is based on God's grace and not our race. So in this passage, we're going to learn a little bit about God's dealing with Israel based not so much on their race, because we're going to see that there are people of Israel, not of Israel, all part of this thing, but it's on His grace. So the operative word there is the word grace. So if you will circle that word grace in your notes. It is operating on His grace. Let's pick it up now at verse 6. All right, It says... But it is not as though the word of God has failed. And that links us back to the previous couple of verses when he gave all these wonderful privileges. People might be saying, with all these privileges, what's happening to the Jews now? It looks like the word of God failed. It looks like it's not going to happen. It comes to naught. It's not important. He's saying, no, it's not as though the word of God has failed. He's saying this, when you look at the Jewish people, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now, what that is saying, that just because they were Jewish, does not necessarily mean they all are Jewish. We might say the authentic Jewish, Jewishness, we might use that term. So, they're not all of Israel, even though they're descended from Israel. It says, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. Then it says, from the Old Testament, "...but through Isaac your descendants will be named." Now, that little phrase, but through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Now, you'll have to look up here because I've got to go over a very quick background of this. All right? At the beginning, you have Abraham and Sarah. God made a promise to Abraham that through Abraham and in Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed, yada, yada. To do that, in order for Abraham to have nations under him and through his loins, that meant his wife had to get pregnant. And so that's how it would be happening. So it happens. So he's dilly-bopping through life. And all of a sudden, he's saying, hey, we're not having any kids here. So he tries to go after someone else. Someone else offered a family member or another person come into the family. Maybe it's going to be that person. No, that's not going to be it. So they're getting older and older and older. So finally, Sarah says this, says, you know what? I have a handmaid over here. Why don't you grab my handmaid? We're going to have a family through her. Her name is Hagar. And so Abraham thought, hey, all right, I'll go ahead and do that. And that's, Maybe that's how this promise is going to happen. So he grabs Hagar which God did not say would come through Hagar, but would come through Abraham and Sarah. And they had a son named Ishmael. Twelve years later, 12, 13 years later, another child was born. But this time, this child was not with Hagar, the handmaid. This child was with Sarah. And so now it's saying here all the descendants of Abraham were not all of Abraham or all of Israel because you have one. You have Ishmael who came out of Hagar and that whole line is not part of God's promise because it wasn't with Sarah and Abraham coming together so a child would come out of that. Now we're going to get a little bit further in this, but I wanted you to see that it's not just through What we might say, because I was born in this family, that makes me part of that. They're not all part of it. Let's go a little bit further here. When you look in this passage beginning in verse 8, it starts opening up a little bit more. It says, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise. Well, before I open that up, it might be good for us to just pause for a moment and to understand what I'm saying here. When he says here that it's not all of the race, it is saying just because they're all Jewish does not mean that all Jews are going to heaven it does mean those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ are going to heaven. We have a missionary couple in our church by the name of Bob and and, um, Linda Josie. They are serving the Lord, and they love Jewish people in Atlanta, and they have given their lives to come alongside Jewish people so that those Jewish people would understand that Jesus, Jehovah, is their Messiah and explaining the message to them. The Jewish people that they're coming alongside of are coming to faith in Christ. And what's happening with them, those Jews now are part of the eternal descendancy of Abraham as spiritual Israel would be because they've trusted the Messiah of Jesus Christ. Now let me step away from the story of Israel because I think the second part of that story is people like you and me. And young people, you might want to listen to this. You know, when we think about going to heaven... Sometimes we think, well, I, I, mom and dad, they, they, they're saved. That must mean that, that I can come to Christ. Yeah, I, I'll go to heaven because their faith. Uh, no, you, you absolutely need to have your own faith in Jesus Christ. Young people, I know that uh, my heart's desire is that we here would model it through your parents. We would message you you through the word of God being taught here, Sunday school, all the other things we do to come alongside you. You can poly that you are part of Christianity. But if you have never fully accepted the payment Christ made for you on the cross and trusted Christ as your Savior by doing so, then all that you've been taught, you might have a relationship with Christianity, but you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to make your own choice to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So just having the knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is important because you can't trust something you don't know anything about. You have to trust it to know that it's true. So you have to know it, you have to know it's true, but then you have to place your trust in that yourself. So if you're listening to me right now, no matter how many times you come to church, no matter how many years you grew up in church, no matter how many seminars you've gone to about Christianity, no matter how long you read the Bible or how many religious things you do that you think is found in Scripture, like baptism and all the rest, I want you to know none of those things will make you a Christian. You are a Christian purely by God's grace. Maybe a way to say that in a more racial way would be this. A good friend of mine, his name is Sonny Blue-Eye, he was an Indian, Native American Indian, in upstate New York, Tonawanda Indian tribe. That man came to faith in Christ at, at age of many of you young people in here. The moment he came to faith in Christ, the one thing that was on his mind was, I've got to tell my friends, my Indian friends, about Jesus Christ. And he did. He grew up and then went to Bible college to be equipped so that he could go back to the reservation and be a real spiritual lighthouse, a force there in upstate New York, which he really was, until the Lord took him. I will never forget, as he would stand up, a big guy. and You could see the way his face was just like a Native American Indian face would be chiseled up with high cheekbones and deep, dark, black eyes. But the warmest and the kindest smile, someone you'd want to kind of crawl up into his lap and let him just talk to you. He would look at the crowd and he would say, because everybody knew he was a Native American, he couldn't get that by him, The very first words out of his mouth would be this. He said, I'm a Native American by race, but I'm a Christian by grace. And so whatever your background is, I pray that you will accept the payment Christ made for you on the cross so that you could have eternal life as well. How important that would be. All right. So salvation is based on God's grace, not on our race. The Jews, the true Jews, not based merely on their race, but upon God's grace. Let's look at number two. Salvation is based on God's promise, but not on our preference. Salvation is based on God's promise, not our preference. So let's go a little bit further again. Back to verse 8, and you'll see how this continues to just open up like a beautiful flower. It says, That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. Remember, God promised, coming through Abraham, coming through Sarah. You're regarded as the descendants, for this is the word of promise. Now we get to that large letters there, going back to the Old Testament. At this time, I will come and circle that word. Sarah shall have the son or have a son. That's who the promise is made to you, Abraham, but not through Hagar, but through Sarah. That's the one who should bring then that new promise of the new people group called Israelites, Jewish people, etc. So those would be the children of of the promise. So it's not based purely on preference. Now, if you will, go back again to what I said a moment ago. Abraham was kind of chomping at the bit. It wasn't this person. My wife's not able to get pre- pregnant. So I prefer to make sure that we get this thing going because at any day my wife could kind of die on me. She's that old right now. So I, I want to make sure we do this. So I'm going to grab this lady based on my wife's permission and we're going to have a... He, 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 thought, he, he set up his own system to try to do what God wanted to have done but not doing it God's way. Did you catch that? He set up a system to get God's job done, but not God's way. Now, you parents that are out here, kids, listen to this. You parents know exactly what I mean. Here's what I mean. You might tell your kids to do something, and they want to do it, but they want to do it their way, not your way. For example, you might want to say, now, son, would you take out the garbage? I'd like you to roll out that can, if you will, to the street so that when the truck comes by, it could pick it up. That's very fine. Now, what you mean by that is make sure it's to the corner of the edge. Make sure that you put it out there. Make sure you do it now so you don't forget because it comes at 630 in the morning and you still will be in bed, and I don't want to miss this. This is your job to do. So your child then, in his own mind, says, I think I'm going to do it the way I want to. So he rolls out the can, and then he turns it around backwards where the guy can't pick it up. So he kind of half-obeyed you but didn't do it your way. Well, Abraham is kind of wanting to have this great family so all the nations of the world would be blessed in him, but he did it his way. Now, how does that fit into you and me now as a people that want to go to heaven? There are many people that are probably listening today that are thinking, okay, I can go to heaven and I go to heaven with this way and I can try to go to heaven that way. There are some religions that will teach you there are five things you have to do to go to heaven. You have to turn from your sin. You have to believe in Christ. You have to be water baptized and a few more after that. Different ways to get to heaven. Jesus, as God says, there's only one way to do it. Just like through Abraham and Sarah, there was only one way through that couple that the nations of the world would be blessed, all right, through them. That was the one way. That was the promise through that child that was given to Sarah. I said that to say this. Again, the truth of God is simply that when God says something like this great promise, he is not leaning on our preference. When he says, this is the way you do it, you do it my way not your way. I have a good friend that is now again in heaven. He pastored in Atlanta. Before he was a pastor, he was like many of you laymen. He was about 30, 35, and was going to church. and He was chomping at the bit. And he learned as much as he could, and soon he received the call to go into ministry. But before then, as he was kind of going through all of that, he was studying evangelism and how to lovingly share the simple plan of salvation with people. He was a postman, just like many of the postmen that you have delivering your mail at your work or maybe at your home. He said, I remember one time, name was Curtis Hudson, and Curtis says, I remember one time I was delivering this mail and this lady stepped out, and we got talking about heaven and going to heaven and all of that, and she says, well, Curtis, a little bit older lady, and kind of talking to him like a mother, trying to correct him, said, you know, Curtis, going to heaven is like going to the post office. You see, you can go to the post office by taking that boulevard that way. Or you can go to the post office by going around this way and taking that little street. You can go to the post office if you want to cut this way and turn down the avenue. All these different roads will get you to the post office. And that's like getting to heaven. There's many different ways to get to heaven. And Curtis, with that twinkle in his eyes, only a southern guy can do. He looks at her with the kindest smile and he says, well, that's pretty good. The only problem with that is when you die, you don't die and go to the post office. There is only one way to get to heaven. So you may prefer something else that might make you feel good that you're doing this. Jesus says that you have to just trust in Christ, in Christ alone. Now that is very important too because, you know, some people sometimes would much prefer to do other things, but trusting in Christ is so hard to be able to do that. Because in a sense, you're like leaning over a cliff and you're about ready to fall and the Lord says, go ahead, fall backwards, and I will catch you. And we don't want to do that. Because when you say, I am not going to depend upon one shred of my good deeds, and I'm going to fall back into God's arms by faith, trusting that the only way to heaven is by trusting in Christ as my Savior. That is a huge step of faith for a lot of people. Sometimes it's easier to get people saved than it is to get them lost. You have to realize how lost you are. So salvation is based on God's promise, not his preference. And this passage is saying, again, we can't prefer to do it our way. We have to trust God his way. Now we get into a little bit more of the sovereignty of God, of God's uh, sovereign and man's uh, free will part here. So let's go to number three. Salvation is based on God's providence. That's where we get that he does this and not our performance. And that's kind of clearly stated here. So let's look at it together, shall we? It says, and not only this, in other words, it's not only God's promise, it's not only God's grace, but it's also this. Not only Abraham and Sarah. It says, but there was Rebecca also. So you may want to circle Rebecca because we're getting into another Old Testament gal. There was Rebecca also. When she had conceived twins by one man, and then Paul kind of digs him. our father, to let you know, I'm still part of your, you guys too. I'm Jewish, you're Jewish. Our father, Isaac. Now let's look up here for a second. Those of you that already know this, give a moment to our brothers and sisters who are starting to learn some history here. Again, Abraham and Sarah. You had Hagar that kind of jumped into this thing here, and then you had Ishmael. We're going to put him off to the side. That's why you have a lot of the conflict in the Middle East today. We can go further into that another time. So now Abraham and Sarah have a child, and that child they named, obviously, is Isaac. Well, now Isaac gets ready to get married, and so he married someone by the name of Rebekah. Now, in the course of them being married, remember, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through Abraham, and it's got to come through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, And it's through Jacob where you get your name changed to Israel, where you get the term Israel and Israelites coming from that. So it's one big chronological lineage going on here. It's starting up here. So now Rebecca has two boys. Both of these boys are twins. They're born practically at the exact same time, although one was born first.
1: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pond